0: Sat with me today is the uh, first lady, not Melania Trump, thankfully, <laughs> but the first lady on the, the podcast. We've got Australian cyclist Tiffany Cromwell. So, are you ready to be interrogated, Tiff?
1: Always. All, All set. Ready. Yeah. Thanks for having
0: me. Yeah, it's good to to get the first lady in the show. A few people have have been asking when uh, the girls are gonna be in the show, so it's nice you're back in town now after the the World Championships. You're in the off season mode now, so uh, a week since uh, you finished racing and now you've just been getting some downtime I'm sure you're enjoying the stage of the season
1: yeah definitely the season finished last week with the world Championships in Yorkshire and yeah it's like once that's done it's such like a big event it's just so nice to be able to be like all right switch off don't think about bike her a... I was able to go on some holidays already so I went straight to Faroe Islands so with my mum for a switch off and it's been good it's a nice time when you can like just do normal things like this morning out walking you know and not having to think about oh I have to get my training done and can't catch up with you know my friends and whatever so yeah it's good Nice time and nice was great down here as well at
0: the moment and it's nice that you did finish the season with the world championships because that's how it should be i know some of the the other cyclists are still continuing on but i think it should be structured like that that you do all your racing in the year and then you kind of unite with your countrymen and women for the grand finale of the season and this year also last year in the world championships and in the commonwealth games you were road captain so that must be something you're pretty proud of too, because that's recognition, um, not just of uh, your ability uh, on a bicycle, but also to be a team leader.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, i um, kind of been embracing that position, I guess, more and more over the last years, and obviously to be road captain with the Australian team is obviously a big privilege, and, you know, to know that they have like the respect for me and my knowledge, and know that's important within the team and when I had been the road captain in the last three championship events the Commonwealth Games and two world championships I come home with medals as well so that's been quite cool like we've had a very strong squad but good game plan and to help guide them has been you know quite good and also within my trade team Ken and Sharon I'm also consistently giving that role and yeah it's like to start with I was maybe not so good at it like on the bike I was always fine with the tactical stuff no worries but I guess you know on the bike is one thing you also need to be that captain and leader off the bike as well and kind of Lead by example, help show the way, help the younger riders as well and I've embraced that a bit more now, whereas before I was a bit like, oh I don't know, you know, yeah I just kind of would be like a bit more quiet one, maybe in the background, we'd have bigger personalities within the team, but yeah I like it and said so it's, yeah, it's a huge honour to be able to be given that position, not even the trade team, but in like the Australian team as well.
0: Yeah and you've um, managed to support the team to, to get some medal positions. I love that shot of you um you're not the most tactile person like me everybody's going in for the hug and you're there just giving the helmet <laughs> pat just like well done yeah
1: exactly <laughs> like you know Spratty she got the bronze medal and she did an awesome ride and like with my race like I've been there for quite a while and then I had a silly crash so I was like off the back of the main field so then there's a bit drop coming out for the last lap saw so I took my teammates on the side who'd done some early work so like ah oh, fuck it we're gonna, you know, turn around, see the finish line, see Spready come in and, you know, they're much bigger huggers than I am. So they're like straight in. I was like, well, there's no room for me. So I was like, oh, I'll just give her, you know, a good well done. <laughs> to be fair, I gave her a hug afterwards, but it's just funny because people who know me know, like that's just me in a nutshell. So, but yeah, just <laughs> give him my bit, It's up in the helmet. <laughs>
0: uh, you guys actually got good weather for your race as well because the guys absolutely pissed down rain uh, the following day for them. But who thought it would be a good idea to go cycling in Yorkshire at the end of September?
1: <laughs> I know, right? Um, we got extremely lucky with our race. Like all the week had been raining, and I, we were the only race outside. Maybe the team relays at the very start of the week or the week before. Um, they got sun, so it was great because obviously then the crowds. Well, the crowds even came out in the rain, but like they were to really enjoy the day as well. And for us, you know, it wasn't as brutal. And yeah, I know coming into it. It's like we were always expecting the worst because like you say, Yorkshire, September, that looms rain, but it is, like, one of the biggest, I would say, areas for cycling. Like, you know, like, the crowds just embrace it. Like, it's, you know, the UK is massive, but then Yorkshire is, like, even a level above. So, yeah, it's, like, we knew we were in for the weather, but at the same time, like, the Yorkshire people and everyone who travelled there just really came out and really embraced and Like, it's probably one of the best atmospheres I've ever had at a World Championship. So it's pretty cool, you know, to be a part of it. Yeah, like you say... Happy we went racing on the Sunday. Like poor guys
0: who had to race one hundred and sixty k in that. It looked miserable. Yeah. It is a hub for cycling in Yorkshire, so I guess the problem stands in the fact that the World Championships are at the end of the year, yeah. and then that's uh, autumn time in the UK. So you could you could get twenty degrees, you could get minus two degrees. <laughs> yeah, that's that's exactly. just UK weather. So yeah. you just don't know what can happen, yeah. but. Exactly. Um, you're looking ahead to next year then? You're all signed up for 2020 as well?
1: Yeah, I've been, yeah, I signed a three year contract with my Kenyan Shrine team from 2017, I think. 18, 19, 20, yeah. So and then next year's, so this last year contract for this lot. But, so yeah, all said, and yeah, next year's a pretty big year. So enjoy my off season to then be able to refocus, you know. We've got Olympics next year, Tokyo 2020, so it's a big goal. So yeah, all eyes set on having a big year next year
0: it's so nice that isn't it having the continuity uh, with the team because you've made that your home for the best part of five years now in our sport we will sign a one or two year contract but well, being able to stay with the team for five years is the dream because it just uh, whenever you come you know everybody because whenever you join a new team it's just like the first day of school again isn't it yeah completely. and it's and it's it's uh, even the first training camp first race everything so you can relax in the winter do your training and then uh my well, first race will be back in Australia, then?
1: Yeah, most likely. Normally, I'll start with the national championships um, in January. But yeah, it definitely is nice to have that continuity, I just say, particularly coming into a big year like the Olympics. It's a year where you want to be starting the season knowing your surrounds, not having new things. Because like change is good sometimes to go to a new team, but at the same time, it can take time to merge into that team. Because if you're a new rider coming in with a group that's been there for a while, it can be hard to get your fit like some people fly other people take their time so whereas I know I come back into the team obviously it's the same staff most of the riders are exactly the same as well so it's so what I know like we've had a few years now together as a group as well and like you say like very to be today I have a three-year contract because I was just saying you know in cycling in women's cycling in particular it was also unheard of in the past like it was always one year contracts for many years like one year contracts because also the sponsors weren't so stable within the sport as well, whereas now it's nice to have a team like Mike and and Tran that they have got the stability with the sponsors to offer contracts as well, to keep a group together so it can help the performance of the team to, you know, at the end of the day, the goal is to be the number one team in the world. So, yeah, I found home there, and, you know, the combination of the partners and the riders and everything else that we have there, it's, it's a nice fit for
0: me. Yeah, so you're the experience that you have now, you're 10 year pro, so you are one of the leading riders in that team, that stability the offer I'm sure that's um, that just adds to, to success then I mean whenever a, a rider's happy they're going to be fast and thinking back to you as a kid I know you told me that you did play sports when you were a kid you're always going to get into sports weren't you but I think when you were a kid uh, other side of the world in Australia did you ever dream that you would become a professional cyclist?
1: Not at all cycling wasn't even in my radar like I was always in sport, but like even when I started cycling, it wasn't even. Well, like you know, now it's becoming a bit more I'd say cool sport per se. But when I was growing up, you know, you saw something like it's like oh, what is <laughs> that? You know, like I was very much in the team sports. Like also because back then I didn't realize cycling was a team sport either. You know, I, very young I was like doing ballet and then I played basketball for many years even though my height wasn't always on my side for that. But, you know, within my family, we all played that. I did a lot of running at school and just tried everything, could sit still, but never did I think I'd make sport my career or be a cyclist. So it was pretty cool. Like I kind of fell into the sport.
0: And was it something that your parents did encourage you to do or were you just born with an interest in sport right from an early age?
1: I think I was just, I'd say it's combined. Like I'd say my parents were definitely from a sports background. Like, they were never professional athletes, but, you know, they grew up on a farm, but he was always running around outside, did sport at school, stuff like that. Mum as well was just playing different sports all the time uh, growing up as well, so I think I was also a child that could sit still, so they're like, oh, we can, like, let him do things. And I had a much older brother as well, and, like, he was also, did basketball as well, and then I have another brother who's two years older, so I think they just, they never pushed me into anything, but I think we're always open if I wanted to do sport, and... I guess as a way to like keep me from completely tearing down the house or something so yeah like as I said I've always been the most supportive parents in anything I've wanted to do but never forced me to any of them and I just like found my way with everything and just I think enjoyed the sports aspect and being active and being outside.
0: From the time that I've spent in Australia is it fair to say they are probably much more progressive than the rest of the world in terms of sport anytime I go there it's amazing just the, the cycling paths you go out it. 6 6 30 in the morning and there there's traffic not the cars but traffic from runners yeah out in the parks and that's that's amazing because if you go from australia not too far to somewhere like japan yeah and you're driving a lot around the roads and you're it just dawned on me one day when i was there in japan and going where's people on bikes where's yeah. people running where are people uh, cycling so i think australia is one country that is so far ahead of the rest of the world in terms of of making sport part of your daily routine. People get up in the morning, they get up or go to bed for a start, yeah. <laughs> and they, they, they get their sleep, and the sun's up, and they're like, okay, sun's out, gun's out, yeah, <laughs> let's exactly. go and do a little bit of sport. Uh, so, was that the same way whenever you were growing up? Were you aware that it was? Well, I suppose you wouldn't have known because you'd only been in Australia. You didn't know that the rest of us uh, lazy folks, <laughs> the rest of the world, <laughs> yeah. were lying in your beds. But yeah. but you guys were up out of your bed and doing sports first thing in the morning.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's very much in the Australian culture. You know, we are a sports nation. You see that. Like we've got many big sports. When you look at the Olympics, it's always one of the biggest teams at the Olympics the Australian team, and sport is very encouraged. That is well government support for you know all the high performance programs and people are always encouraged to get up, be active, and it's I think also. to do with the culture and the weather and everything else it is very much a morning culture and you see that and i've noticed that now more now as you say like since i've traveled far it's like you know the normal people you know do something for work do this do that whereas i'm like oh whatever whereas now it's like you do you come back home to australia it's just like ah everyone you know five o'clock six o'clock in the morning doing something if you live on the east coast you're out surfing if you're down more around adelaide yeah people are running cycling doing you know boot camps all these so it's it is and in schools as well i very much encourage you know we did peers physical education school um for classes as always you know um out of school after school sport as well so yeah there's definitely it's kind of ingrained in us i'd say from from an early
0: age and did you ever sport idol growing up then uh, an australian sport or somebody worldwide and i'm interested to know even if it was yeah. a woman or a man or what you know
1: yeah, it was it's more, I'd say, a bit of a fan. Like when I, it was more when I was playing basketball, you know, Shaquille knew was always my favourite player. So never say, like, idol idol, but I was like, yeah, that's who you know. I was like, oh, yeah, Shaq, he's cool. He's the one i like, he used to when I'd play basketball. I'd have, at the time, he was with Orlando Magic. So I had all, like, Orlando Magic clothes, training clothes. <laughs> and then when he changed to the Lakers, I got, like, Lakers, um, like the NBA kit and stuff like that for training. And so, yeah, definitely him. And then when I started cycling, it was Stuart O'Grady because I think at the time he was mean the only between him and a guy with Luke Roberts and the two big kind of cyclists came from Adelaide at the time and, you know, it was kind of like he was the hometown hero so when I was very young and like that we'd do some international kind of track cycling events and stuff like this and you'd see him and like obviously the young writer and see Matt. was kind of the one because at the time we didn't really have top female professional cyclists at all out of Adelaide so for me, definitely looked up more to the guys at that point in my career I think it's just because that's how the
0: sport was then. And yeah. So was that part of um, you know, the project The founded you? you? were only 14 years of age then, whenever the like youth development program came into your school and kind of were looking for, for cyclists, uh, and they spotted you because <laughs> you were playing every sport. So I'm sure you were one of the first candidates that were, were intrigued.
1: Yeah, definitely. Well, it was actually slightly different to that. So it came uh, just a general fitness test. So yeah, we did the general, like, they could just look at basic physiology, and say, okay, because you have a good endurance, you can be a good cyclist. So it's as simple as that, or like you're over 270 years tall, you can be a volleyball player. So that's how they kind of segregated people. And if you hit these la- these different levels, it was like, okay, they could pinpoint. And there were certain sports that they wanted to try and grow, and obviously cyclists won them. So I got the invitation, come out to the velodrome and try cycling. And I was just like, righto, okay, whatever. I'm open to trying anything. So I did. I went down there and, you know, if you've ever been inside a velodrome, it's pretty daunting. Like, you've got these steep bankings and you get given a bike. It's like no brakes, fixed wheel. <laughs> if you get told if you go too slow on the corners, you'll fall down and, you know, all this stuff. So I was like, yeah, no worries. But, yeah. and But, yeah, there I was and I was like, okay, I guess I'll give this one a go. <laughs> There's a few other kids in the similar thing from different schools that they selected and gave into this talent pool program and kind of started my way. But it wasn't saying that click straight away. I was like, hmm wasn't really my thing because again it was like from a sport background and when you're a young rider it's you will not say it's at all-team at least back then it wasn't and so it just took a while I was like what is this tight clothes and everything and I was also one of the worst in my group as well on the track I think because I was a very late developer so I was like tiny so I didn't have a lot of power but then I went onto the road and did my first road race and got third as the state championship so like huh oh, maybe I like this sport a bit more and it's slow. It was a slow burn it grew on me and then I just had this like kind of Find a hard quitting things so I was like just stuck with it and I was like oh I just keep doing it why not at the same time playing basketball and trying to fit as much as possible in and eventually came to the point where I had to choose but I became started enjoying cycling more and basketball less and started traveling around in the country which I never got to travel as well so you know it's just things started happening with that and I was like I realized it was a better fit for me
0: that's funny that they did that as a program. They just come in almost with a measure and a stick. And it's like, yeah, you can be a basketballer. Okay, you got a big engine, you can ride a bicycle. You're short, get you on a horse. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs>
1: so, like, I guess it's just, you know, trying to find those one or two possibles that can go a long way. So this was back then. So it was, they had talent ID in each state. And, you know, like the failure rate was quite high. But like, say for some of me, I'm still going. You know, I'm the only one for my group. But now I think they've made it a bit more like come and try and then talent search. So it's like, hey, come and try cycling. If you like it, then they'll test you and see if you have the physiology to be it. So it's to make it be a bit more sustainable, I guess, to try and bring more to the highest level. But it is pretty cool, though, you know, that they can say or give opportunities and give people the chance to try sports that you probably would have never thought who they believe have the right potential.
0: So. Well, that's good they're still doing it then because uh, I was thinking when you were speaking about it at that stage around 2002... Um, things were good with the economy even in, yeah. in motorsport there was money and then when the recession happened uh, 2008 then everything just stopped yeah. for us But so that's good that they are still doing uh, development programs like that for kids to give them a chance because it's, it is one of those things if you, if you never tried it how do you know
1: exactly and I think yeah, like some states are better than others like South Australia Sports Institute where I'm from it's had is a lot more progressive town ID like and even, like, with the Institute programs, it has changed quite a lot over the years. Like, I'd say in the early years, there was probably a lot more of it happening. Whereas now, I'm not 100% sure how it's structured. But there's still these opportunities for D and as I say, like, SAS is one of the biggest ones. I don't know how it's run the rest of the country, but, yeah. And with the different sports, too. But there's still, you know, because, like I said, you know, it's a country of sports. So, like, they still want to be able to fund... Development in sport and give pathways for kids to encourage them to be active and you know not in front of screens and everything else. So yeah, we're very sport in Australia that we have those opportunities.
0: Well, the age you were at then, so you were a teenager, and you've got this opportunity to, to go on your ride your bike and then you start thinking, yeah, I like this, but that age is so critical for growing up because you can you could go one way and you, you know things could change from day to the next. It's the old thing of. It goes from your parents being your best mates to then hating your parents, you know, that's part of growing up. Yeah. So whenever you're um, starting to enjoy sport, I'm sure there was other temptations whenever your friends are starting to go to discos and starting to go out. And there's other pressures outside of that. So was that tough to, to kind of balance?
1: Yeah, um, for me, I was actually quite right. I'd say sport was probably the best thing that I had because I definitely, during those years of high school, like that's when the house parties start happening and people are doing that at their weekends. Like, you know, go somewhere on the Friday and the Saturday and then go back to school on the Monday. And But because I always had sport, I never really got into that. You know, I wasn't the one wanting to go off, be a rebel. Like, never wanted to try smoking, never wanted to try drugs and all that stuff. Like, I think it was always good that I had that outlet of sport because, you know, it kept me on the right way. Again, okay, I had a very good upbringing as well, so I had the right direction. And, um, but for sure, like, I was just happy with sport and enjoyed doing that. So then I was never tempted, but I still want to see, kind of, Friends from time to time, but I guess I didn't really. I wasn't stuck in those kind of circles. I was stuck in the more, the circles where people were doing like sports stuff on the weekends or maybe a little bit social. But yeah, I caught up for it a bit in the later years. I definitely got a bit distracted. You know when I started, then became a bit older. Like, oh yeah, we we'll still go out and this that whatever. And then I find of, kind of found a nice balance. But you know, as you say in that early years and the teenage years, you can go both directions. And then maybe you do, then lose it as soon as you become an elite rider versus a junior. Like, you miss the opportunities, you know, to do what the other kids are doing. But for me, I've never regretted anything that I did. So I was like happy, had opportunities, was able to do my sport, and then to see what's taken me, it's pretty incredible. So, yeah, I'm quite glad I never got stuck into any in of those traps. Because I had plenty of friends who were doing it, and I was around it all the time. But,
0: yeah. And yeah, listening to what you said then, I'd say a key part of that was the fact that your parents weren't forcing you. Because whenever your parents are forcing you, that is, like I said, it can go for them and being your best mate. So then you're throwing things at them whenever you're throwing your tantrums as a teenager. So if uh, parents are forcing a kid in a particular direction, even if they want to do that sport, there's a good chance the kid's going to rebel. Whereas if a parent isn't pushy, and a parent is just letting uh, their kid explore and enjoy their cycling and then also socialize with their friends then you you're gonna stay on the on the correct path. You see it so often whenever the parents are, are being pushy and almost living their dream through their kid, it's only gonna end one way and it's usually a big old argument.
1: Yeah, definitely, I totally agree and as I said like I would so love to have such supportive parents though as well, like from a young age, you know, at the time, like always take me to the races halfway across the country and you know, being able to help, you know, get sponsors and being able to, like pay for it and everything else. So yeah. But I've seen it too, I just say, the other way when it's just too intense, like the parents, you know, living through their kids, and yeah, then you see a lot of rebellion, but yeah, I'd have to say, you know, if it wasn't for my parents, I wouldn't have got to the point where I'm now, so very fortunate to have them in the so early you, years.
0: You started riding your bike, uh, sorry, racing, and I'm getting a feel for enjoying um, being on your bike, but then the competitive aspect is something else. When was the first moment that you realised you had that kind of killer instinct that you wanted to win a race? there's always a point, yeah. isn't there, when you're riding your bike, you're enjoying it, but there's the time whenever you, you get beaten to the line by somebody and you realize, shit, I didn't like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think I've always been a very competitive person, you know, from a young age, but yeah, I guess, you know, then like, probably when I first became more elite and I got my first victory, I was like, I want more of that, you know, because I was, I was never one that came onto the scene and just like won a bunch of races. I was kind of like, you know, one here, one there. I was always around the place, but as well, because I was like a late developer. I remember as a junior right I'd always be finishing second or third, like to these girls who developed a lot earlier than me and stuff like this, but I was like, I want more of this, you know. I loved trying to race for the win and just keep going and going and I'd say it's just, yeah, my first years overseas, I was like, oh, I want to impress, you know, the teams, I want to impress people, so I just want to go out there and race my bike and, you know, try to be aggressive, look for opportunities and I think that's when, you know, I started to feel like probably 2007, 2008 when I was my first years overseas that so I was like oh I like this and you know you got nothing that you're worrying about there's no expectations you know you get a top 10 it's incredible type thing whereas now when you look at top 10 it's like "Mm, not good enough so it's like I think those early years where I was just always hungry to just get the best out of myself and see you know try my chance to like go for the win and stuff like that so yeah
0: Uh, so you were already overseas by 2007 when you say overseas how far were you travelling was it just locally to New Zealand or were you Uh, going far
1: so I was, as a junior in 05 and 06, I went to Italy, well, to Europe for the Junior World Championships, but there's no like very short stint. And then when I became first year elite in 07, I was in the National Institute program. Oh, no, I wasn't, not that year. But I had, there's a, a development trip for three weeks in France. So I had that, and at the same time I got invited to race with a team in America. So I did like three weeks in America and then three weeks in France. And then the year after I was doing half a season in the US circuit and then half a season in the European circuit. So the US was with the American team I was racing with. Right. And then in Europe was with the national program. So, yeah, I was straight away like onto, you know, we are racing the best teams in the world at that point because at that point there was not really any segregation between professional and, say, like, you know, non-professional. You know, you could have national teams racing and these racing the world, for example. Right. It gets the best riders in the world. So it's a hard way to do it because if you go straight to Europe, it's like you get thrown in the deep end because obviously it's like straightway you come from Australia where the fields are very small the roads are big to a peloton of 150 girls like the best riders in the world and tiny roads very technical and you know it's very very daunting so but you either make it or you break it I'd say like plenty of people have cracked and not been able to cope with that and the pressures and everything else with European racing but I think having the outlet of doing US racing as well is that nice stair step for me so I enjoyed the challenge of doing you know racing in the US, feeling I could race to win, then come to Europe and, like, developing as a rider and, you know, learning the trade in the European peloton, which is where the best racers are. And, you know, when you're at the top, then you're in the European peloton.
0: So I know after school that you went to study fashion for a bit, so how did you manage to juggle everything at that stage?
1: Yeah, so at that point, like, I, I was, again, I had very supportive people around me. Like, when I was doing fashion, was a, so initially when... I applied for the course. I didn't have any opportunities to go overseas that year. It was just like, it was first year, oh no, actually I was still a junior. I finished school in 2005. So yeah, so I was still in a junior. So that year was good because I could do it part-time, so I could study, no worries. But the problem with fashion is it's such a hands-on. So I was able to do it for a while. And each time I come back at the end of the season, i will be able to pick in as much as I could and try to do a little bit when I was overseas. But it was difficult was for me, it was kind of like a side project because I had a bit of an education for something else. But at the same time, I was still focused on going to and everything else. But I juggled it for a while and got to a point where I realised it was impossible to keep doing a fashion. Still has always been an interest. I got to a point where, you know, I'd learned a lot of the fundamentals of, of fashion and stuff like that. But it was, yeah, it was just about doing as so much as I could when I was back home in Australia, away from the season. And then when I was away, then kind of only doing those subjects I could do abroad type thing. So. But yeah, bounced at somewhere and then realized it wasn't possible and then cycling kind of took over. But from what I learned with the fashion gave me some opportunities to be able to then work it into like my racing and like working with brands as well like design and doing some freelance like graphic design and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, because you, um, you're you so busy. <laughs> I don't know how you juggle. <laughs> so you're, obviously your career as a cyclist, that's the, the the first one but I'm a motorbike racer and that's it that's where I yeah. stop but you ride your bike you've got Tiffany Jean Designs uh, also the, the project with, with Rafa which yeah. is such cool stuff yeah. everything you've produced with Rafa uh, looks amazing and I don't know where you find time to cook you do <laughs> as well the meals that you, you put together there's never a shot middle. you made it I honestly don't know uh, how you manage to push that into 24 hour day. Maybe you don't sleep. Maybe yeah. that's it. You actually have 24 hour <laughs> days for the rest of us have like 15, yeah. 16.
1: I'm just not good at sitting still. That's what it comes down to. They're all just passions at the end of the day, you know. Like, yeah, sometimes I'm like, mm, maybe I should just sit back and relax a bit more. But again, it extends back to, you know, as a child, I can never sit still. Like, I can't just sit and do nothing. I just get out to get bored. And for cooking, it's like, well, I need to feel my body. So then that's where I developed interest with that. It's like, well, okay. And for me, over time, it's become more natural. For some people, they're looking it's like, it's a big, oh, oh, my God. But for me, I was like, I enjoy that aspect of coming up with interesting, creative dishes that's going to fuel me to help my performance. So, yeah, it takes time for sure, but it also takes up my days. So I'm like, well, then I'm not bored to sit on the couch. And then, yeah, and then the design, again, it's something that's just, I do in my spare time. Because, you know, when we're at races, you spend a lot of time sitting in a hotel doing nothing, right. legs up on a hotel bed. Sure, okay, there's time to study like the racing, you've got your massage, you've got your training, but there is a lot of downtime. So that's where it's sometimes nice to be able to switch off from race brain, everything cycling and have a different outlet. So that's where the I'm a very creative person, so that's where, you know, I enjoy doing the designs. Like even that's probably filtered off a little bit over the last years, but I still look for opportunities. You know, if someone wants something done, I'm like, sure, you know, get a project, then I'm inspired to like get back onto my computer and have a play around and yeah, and then having the opportunity to do things like with Rafa, that's quite cool too because those are things that can transition in my future career yeah. for like, okay, do a few things here or there, be able to work with the design team, see how the process goes and yeah, and then could potentially filter into like a job after after I finish my cycling. You know, so I like to keep lots of doors open, you know. Well, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's one thing for sure. I think you, you have so many doors open because you, you're a really sociable character, so you don't have to worry after cycling there's going to be so many doors open and your energy and your enthusiasm for for everything you put your mind to because whenever you go on the bike as well um, the sort of miles you do is incredible during the year yeah. uh, a lot of women cyclists would probably do less kilometres but you go on the Tiff's adventure rides <laughs> i went on some of them adventure rides across the Italian and, and French hills with you and yeah I, I can never keep up <laughs> yeah
1: it is fun you know and that's one of the beauties of the sport and that's what Again, like people forget that side of the sport sometimes because we get so focused on the numbers, focused on exactly what we have to do and forget why we actually do this sport. We lose enjoyment and the thing is like what I've worked out is like when you're happy, you race your best. Like you can do all those specific efforts you want, but if you're not happy, you're stressed about everything and depressed and everything else, you're not gonna race well. So I was like sure you need to have the balance and I've gone better at learning how to have the balance of like knowing when to recover and knowing when I make specific efforts. Also knowing when I need to just go on ride my bike, have some good friends around, you know, get some people, just go exploring, find new roads and just enjoy while we go out every day. Because otherwise it do- will feel like a job and you will stop enjoying it. And at the end of the day, it's like you put so much into it, so much passion, so much drive, so much sacrifice, everything into what we do. Like you need to enjoy it yeah. because otherwise, you know, you'll just feel, you'll just burn out basically.
0: Well, a big part of your game is being able to recover, being able to go to bed at night and sleep. And if you're just overly stressed, there's no way you're going to be able to shut your your mind down. And I think that's why it's great whenever you see in cycling an ex-pro cyclist gets involved with a team and in motorbike racing when an ex-rider gets involved with a team because I think guys that have never done the sport, they only look at it from the business aspect. And it is a business, don't get me wrong, but in sport you have to almost look at it 50-50 because you're dealing with um, sports people. that You've got emotions, you've got adrenaline, all the pressures that go with it. Yeah. So, if you just keep pushing people, um, like I guess they would do in an office, um, yeah. because it isn't just as key there. But when you've got uh, the stresses that we have year on year, we're always fighting to get a new contract. You yeah. have to make sure and keep it fun. And exactly. so many people forget about that.
1: Yeah. And that's that's nice now, you know, as we go back to like the start of the conversation of being, you know, more like the captain within the team. It's because, you know, I've got to the point in the career where I've been through some of these things and I see some of our younger what they're going through, I was like, I've been there, I've done that, I've done all the emotions, I've overtrained, I've put too much pressure on myself, I've been in a mental case, like, so it's nice when you can kind of give back to them, and like to say, post career as well, if you want to give back, then, because you've experienced all things and know what they're going through and you can give the right advice that you perhaps didn't get at the time of your career, you know, like, you know, so they don't have to make the same mistakes or deal with the same kind of, I guess, downtime so they can optimally get the most out of themselves and their performances.
0: Yeah, there's there's no book that they can read. If they want to read a book to to say this is how to be a leader, it's different whenever you're dealing with sports people. Yeah, completely. It is so. There <laughs> so really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, are so many cases, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, cyclists. I always say it. Cyclists. Yeah. <laughs> all have to be a bit crazy. <laughs> they to all have sport. to. Be. Yeah, definitely <laughs> because what possesses a person to, to go up to the top of a mountain as fast as they can. Uh, until they almost see black and white it, yeah. you have to have something a little exactly. bit loose upstairs yeah, so definitely. you're dealing with metal cases <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you think that you're going to be able to, to stabilise everybody yeah. and fit everybody to the same mould that's never going to happen, yeah. you have to kind of treat every person as an individual because yeah. everybody's different, uh, you see it in sport all the time where they kind of create this mould this is what you're meant to do but that may only be one type of player or one type of rider, or one type of driver and they do it yeah. all the time yeah, definitely. it's, it's uh, yeah, in my opinion it's arse about face it really yeah. isn't right it's not as bad in our sport because we've only two riders per team yeah. so it's pretty easy going yeah. but whenever you have um, a team of like ten cyclists together mm-hmm. you can't just treat everybody the same no, exactly
1: and the best person the best direction the best management of the team are those that know how to know how to treat each individual athlete yeah. like when quite sport with who i work with with Ronnie like he he knows that he knows the ones he can be hard on he knows ones that can't handle them how to like deal with them differently and yeah I'm sure the men's is the same but also dealing with a group of women who can be very emotional <laughs> and go through you know a roller coaster of things then yeah, yeah. you don't have to tell me that I grew up with, <laughs> yeah. I grew up with two sisters <laughs> yeah exactly and then
0: I'm all to, to Pip and I so yeah. I know all yeah. the roller coaster exactly. of emotions yeah
1: so yeah the besties are the ones that know how to deal with each athlete in the right way again to get the best out of them and
0: you know to get the best performance yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll go back then uh, to that stage when you were talking about you were still pretty young um, not even 20 years old yet and you're starting to fly across to, to Europe to, to ride your bike and um, when was the moment then that you began thinking so you had went to study fashion and that was a kind of like a backup plan uh, in terms of career but then when was the moment you thought hang on I could get paid to ride my bike let's try to make this thing work
1: I think it was probably 2012 through the first year it really felt like okay but it was I was just always had great opportunities where doors just open you know it's like just had that good momentum of progressing going up like getting stronger and stronger as a rider getting a few results here and there but I think it was just I was just loving the whole yeah let's go around the world everything else ride my bike race my bike and and each year I had different opportunities, like whether it's with the national team or then... But I was always one of those riders that so I never just sat in and waited. I was like an aggressive rider, you know. I love... Probably attack too much, but, you know, I was never one like just sitting. So I think from that as well, like I probably got noticed as a rider quite early for my instincts and tactics and stuff like that. But it's probably when I first signed with Green Greenwich Team when it was back then. Yeah. I think it was just called Greenwich Cycling at the time. That's when things started to progress more when it was like, okay. Because I kind of like should have had my first professional contract in 2010 because so I signed probably with a former team that was called Nuremberg which was one of the top women's teams at the time they just lost their sponsor but then had this new one that came in Then before the season started it it dropped out so the yeah. team almost folded so that was basically my first break and you had a signed contract Yes. Yeah. so I'd sign and then yeah so yeah, it's then a brought, bit of a mess. On exactly it's kind of like i just finally stepped out from the national team to go into my first professional team first full year Europe and then it's kind of like oh, I just got taken away. So then probably got a little bit lost in there. Like, I was fortunate that the national team then gave me the opportunity again to so I could do a full season. So that's when I did my first full year in Europe. As a national team, but kind of living as a semi-pro, like, like okay, I was getting paid and stuff, but still, I still never really felt like it's so It's my job, you know, it's yeah. just enjoying what I'm doing and make able to make things work, you know. And then 20 levels, when it was like a pretty rough year where I kind of, went from a couple of teams and I just couldn't get the performance but then again I had the good opportunity where people still saw the potential in me and just saw I needed a way again like I got a bit lost and and that's when they took me to the Green Age team and then I was like okay yeah I started feeling more and more like it was yeah I can make a living out of this and this can be my my career and everything else so
0: it must have been tough though at that age uh, with the stresses. Uh, on your shoulders, being on the other side of the world without parents and uh, childhood friends to, to kind of go around and, and speak it through with. So, yeah, well. definitely
1: had its moments for sure. But I was also very lucky that I always had good community around me, you know. And each place where I lived, you know, made that the most. And I think I just always embraced like the culture and the European having people around me that helped me sustain that. And I knew my parents were always a phone cool away, so it was good like that. But yeah, I think as Australians i'd say that's why a lot of us are not quite tough at least per se because we do we make a new life over here and in the early years definitely in the early years it was hard like towards the end of the season it was like yeah i'm ready to get home we're ready to get back to australia like australia was still home whereas now like the more i've adapted the more going into european life made this home i was like you know now it's way more sustainable and way easier but yeah there were those times when it was difficult when you know, we can't just jump on a plane to out of your home. It's like, if you're going home, there's a commitment, it's like 24 hours on a plane, and expensive and everything else. So, yeah, I was able to stick it out and keep the good people around me. And, yeah. yeah, came out the other
0: side quite alright. As tough as it is, being that far away, I think there's a good expression, they say like, homesickness, it will pass. Like, yeah. it's, not, it's not a terminal uh, illness, it's something that kind of lasts for a short time. And as long as you can uh, manage to get through that tough period, then, home is where you make it and yeah. you can always make friends you can always make a new community like yeah. we have here yeah. there's so many of us yeah. uh, around this small little area so yeah. we're all from uh, different parts of the world and we made our own little community so home's where you make it isn't it? exactly
1: completely.
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, I know that stage then that was when I first met you then 2012 you were saying about when you were with uh, Orica and yeah. i never cycled on the road with, with uh, girls before yeah. so whenever I saw you, you and uh, Lizzie yeah. at that stage on the, on the bikes I was like wow this this is something else <laughs> because I wasn't used to it yeah. uh, not now it's something that's completely normal but because I'd grown up in Ireland yeah. and you never saw um, women on yeah. on bikes back then that's something that I see has completely changed now I noticed that even a few years ago even around here in France and Italy you see more and more women cycling there has yeah. been a big, big change in the last 5 years that must be something that makes you proud as well whenever you see that transition because you've had an impact on that too yeah
1: definitely you know because like you say in the early years it was we were the only girls riding around even like other places I was living there when I was growing up I was always trained with guys which I had no problem with but at the same time you know you understand why it's intimidating for girls or women getting into the sport because like if you know how the guys are and you can't handle their you know guy talk and like you know egos and everything else it sometimes gets better them when it comes to you know getting competitive and on a bike be very very intimidating and but it is really cool to see how the sport is progressing and seeing so more women on bikes because that's ultimately what we want to do. We want to grow the sport and inspire more women to get on bikes and as you say I'm it too like even the last few years to seeing more and more women on the roads around here on the Côte d'Azur and all around the world but you know here where it is probably a bit more behind perhaps like progressive countries like the UK and the US and Australia. I'd still say Italy, France, Central Europe is still a little bit old school and behind, but, you know, the fact of seeing more women on the bikes, I think is really cool and and nice that it is actually having an impact of this talk for quality and to, you know, make people so they're not scared, just go out there do things, try things, challenge themselves, you know, and the likes, obviously, you know, we do with Rafa like that, the Women's 100 each year, which say it's inspiring women to get on their bike and ride 100K, whether it's by themselves with other women, just to encourage each other to achieve that because it is quite a big challenge and yeah. you know and again it's all about building a community and building like as we say sharing this beautiful sport with the world and saying it's not intimidating and saying there are other girls that want to ride together so it's pretty cool yeah
0: it's definitely something though that it's getting better over time i think from generation to generation it's going to get better because i'm 33 now and me and so- most of my friends are, are fine with it now that we can see you guys how strong you are on the bike whenever we as a group cycle past like say a 60 year old man in italy it's the funniest thing because if we're guy cycling past you just say ciao and keep on riding and you're not going to see him again But the amount of times that I've been in a group with you and uh, Lizzie Dignan, and you go past uh, a 60 year old man everybody says ciao and maybe 30 seconds later and you see this old dude yeah. cycling up past <laughs> his tongue wrapped around his neck he's breathing out of his ass and we know it's for the sole reason that a, a girl has passed him oh
1: completely yeah
0: it's it's so funny yeah. to, to see so that is something that, that changes uh, as time goes on but yeah. I can imagine those guys they were 60 years old so Whenever they were growing up, it was just like, ah, the woman's place yeah. is in the kitchen. So yeah. whenever they see uh, a young girl like, out on a bike going past them, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's even like... so more fun when you drop them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But I didn't say, like, even the professional side, like, you know, in the early years, even the pro men wouldn't take us seriously. Like, like, oh, you know, the girls kind of, you know, sideshow, like, didn't even know half the girls, whereas now there's so much more respect as well, like, between both Pelotons and mixing together, and they uh, respect, like, our strength and everything else, which I think is cool too, you know. That we don't have to fight so hard to be like yeah actually we can go train with you or we do the same races and put in as much effort and yeah so that's also really nice too now like feeling like the gap is closing and you know there's a lot more awareness as well
0: yeah you guys are are doing a great job getting uh, women cycling on the mainstream you see it more on tv now yeah even the the women's version of the Tour de France is that something uh, that you see going back on the calendar in the future again
1: it's one of these ones that's always a talked about discussion. It's like, to it a front short, it would be cool because, you know, everybody knows the tour as the tour. It's the one of race that anyone who knows the outside knows that race. But outside that, it's like, why is there that need? Because mm. clearly the organisation doesn't want it. And that's a logistical nightmare and everything else. And there's so many great races doing so many great things and it's like the sport still isn't ready to have a three-week tour, in my opinion. Sure, maybe you could do like a 10-day when women's Tour de France. That could be quite cool. But to do a three-week tour, the, the team still needs to grow further because if you look at how men's team is structured, they have 28 guys when they, on their roster. They have a dedicated group of maybe 10 guys who do the whole season around Tour de France, yeah. while well, the rest of the riders will often do the different other races. They have any given time three race programs. And women's cycling still only one one and a half race programs so most riders at the moment do classics riders are also drivetatalia riders okay. so that's where we haven't quite changed that gap as well so I think to say alright let's have a three week tour to France you're not going to have enough riders in teams to be able to do that to be able to train to do a three week tour because it's a matter it of does. funding
0: as well isn't it it's funding Yeah, well, the teams
1: teams can't justify having more riders if there's not enough races, so that's where it's like everything needs to change to get to that point, but yeah, like I say, it'd be cool to have it just for namesake, but at the same time, there's so many other great things that's happening in the sport, that I think, you know, people need to stop putting such an emphasis on why Xander wouldn't still France, you know, so, at least that's my opinion. There's plenty of people saying we need it for equality and all this hurrah, but... I think yeah you need to look at the big picture and everything else as well that's
0: a fair comment yeah. it's good to hear your opinion on that because um i don't really know as an outsider um what your feeling is on it but yeah. the the race uh, that does happen in july the woman's giro d'italia the giro rosa yeah. that's that's a, a great race so it's a what was it a 10 ten, 10 day race yeah. and we went there in 2016 that was actually so cool when we yeah. came to, to watch it with yeah. myself Pippa uh, Brendan Hartley and his wife Sarah yeah. we just drove here from Monaco to, to go and watch you because you'd won a stage was it stage 4 in the Giro d'Italia that year? was it that year? Or year 4 what year
1: was it? yeah 2016 yeah 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 you'd won a stage yeah, so we were, we were watching yeah. uh, that time yeah.
0: and then we looked at the, the calendar and that was a, a stage in the season where it was yeah. our summer break so we're like you know what uh, it's passing by it's only like two hours down yeah. the road so we all hopped in a car and uh, Brendan and Sarah they, we picked uh, them up in the car and then the first news they told us actually was like oh yeah Brendan said I proposed to Sarah yeah. last night so we were the first ones to know it's like yeah. oh this is cool yeah so we headed off in the car across uh it was towards like finale Ligure or something yeah. I think it's to a finale, around
1: that area. yeah, yeah. we
0: came over to, to watch you there we turned up and uh <laughs> and then Pippa my wife just the ultimate blagger yeah. of yeah. course how she managed it to convince the like the organizers to allow us to be your team My car photo, yeah so it was, was a, time trial stage yeah that's yeah,
1: right in a time trial and I was going to have a follow car anyway and they were like <laughs> the team will all they they're like oh, the only thing is maybe because technically you're supposed to have a race license to follow in there just for I guess UCI regulations but um I'm like well oh, they kind of know how to drive so it should be fine so my director's all cool. He's just like, okay, if they pull you up at the start, then sure. But it's also Italy. It's pretty like chilled. So normally you get away with a lot of things. But for me, it's like the best ever. I was like the best support. You know, to have like you guys come along and yeah, it made was, my day.
0: That was yeah. such a a, a <laughs> blagging effort that we, yeah. we put the sticker across yeah. the windscreen to say that we were the support car, and yeah. then you could see that everybody because we were driving the BMW M four. Yeah, like, of oh, this. yeah. <laughs> and it's and it's quiet as uh, as you're coming in. You're a single rider. Yeah. And <laughs> then the crowd start clapping and then we could hear the old time people just looking going, oh, yeah. BMW, everyone, yeah. what's going on yeah but we followed you for it like between 12, 20 K. 20 i think it was 20k because yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't believe how fast you were going up there the <laughs> hills i was thinking what and where the music going and everything yeah. and shouting uh, encouragement yes the problem was whenever we arrived to the descent. Yeah. <laughs> and we were trying to keep up. So I tried to keep up with you. I don't think I would have been able to in a way if it was allowed, but Pippa just said that we, <laughs> yeah. no, slow yeah. down.
1: Yeah, exactly. I do like a good technical descent.
0: So yeah. Wait, well, yeah, that was impressive that, that. You just uh, got away from us. Yeah. But that was uh I don't think you I don't think we could ever manage to, to do that again. It was just one of those yeah things that we I don't think you could to. do it any
1: other race at the jury or any other kind of Italian tranquilo type. You try to do that if tour touring
0: France, no chance. No. But there's so much stricter, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll yeah. try and do it one, yeah. one of these years yet, getting yeah, <laughs> get there exactly. another BMW. Yeah. But actually, we should actually try and get a Ferrari or a Lamborghini yeah, or something. That'd be the best. <laughs> to see what we can manage. Full pimp, yeah. <laughs> Love it. So, yeah. what would you say was your um, best race of your career? I, I'm looking at your career, I would say, in 2013, the the
1: that
0: must have been the highlight of your career
1: that was special for sure like because it's like a one day classic and it's a first of the spring classics and I think it was quite surprising result for me like I knew I was ca- it was an early goal but you know I had the year before I had my first big victory in Europe like winning the stage of Giro but this was like a one day classic and it was kind of one of those days that I just felt invisible and you know, I had, um, sorry, Invincible, and invisible and then, you know, we're working for all my teammates it's just one of these things just kept going and going and it was a freezing day and, yeah, when I won out, I was just like, wow. That was my first, like, okay, I could be a classics writer, like a holiday yeah. specialist, and so I fell in love and definitely very, very good man- memories because it was, you know, a really, really nice victory. And probably, yeah, I'd say probably one of my biggest highlights. Like, there's been a few for different reasons of other ones where maybe it wasn't me getting the result, but being a part of, like, an amazing team result, but... That was still between that and like my Jiro stage win when I won a sprint, which was very unheard of for me. Like a big bunch sprint. like Those two were probably my biggest, biggest, best days that I have amazing memories from.
0: You are a cyclist that can do anything. So you won a bunch sprint. Uh, Watching you in that time trial, you you won uh, the individual time trial back in Australia a few years ago as well, didn't you?
1: Mm, No, I won a stage of route to France in a time trial.
0: Is that it? Yeah. So you can win a a time trial, you can (laughs) win a bunch sprint. We know you can go uphill, yeah. so you're something that I think that is probably due to the fact that you do go on the Tiff's Adventure rides.
1: <laughs> yeah, see, so yeah, I'm kind of like a jack of all trades at the same time, like I've changed as a rider throughout the years, so it's like I was very much a climber in the early years, now I'm not so strong on the clients, but then I started really developing a sprint, then I was like, oh, I can be quite crafty in a sprint, pushing out, and then, you know, ruler type tactical rider, like sometimes I'm still a bit lost of like what type of rider am I actually? And probably why I always have some of the most race days in the team because they know that they can put me in so many different races as either a support rider or the chance, you know, for an opportunity. But I, it's a good skill to have, for sure, particularly in cycling. But, the yeah, but I enjoy, you know, being quite versatile because also then when you come to, like, championship events, it means you have a lot more championships that are a chance for you because if you look at a pure sprinter, you look at, say, the last two Olympics or, say, Rio and then Tokyo, sprinters have no chance yeah. to go versus if you're more all round you've got more chance or even more chance events, events like yeah because a, a lot of
0: cyclists will look at the course and I'll already go oh no I can't win it Whereas you could probably or can't play a role in the team Yeah.
1: so those are the two things and it's like so if you're only a sprinter only a climber then for sure if you look at a course you know that you can't play a role within the team in that course versus if you're quite open and quite versatile, versatile. Yeah. then you know, you've know got so many more opportunities you know, to represent on the biggest stage
0: which is also pretty cool so what's the goals for, for next year then?
1: So actually definitely it's all around Tokyo 2020. So one thing in my career that I really want to achieve before I finish because Olympics is one thing I'm yet to go to. Um, I've been very close a couple of times, but it's always been that kind of thing I haven't quite thought. and I know the course doesn't suit me 100%, but you know if I go, I'll be going as a sport rider, as a road captain most likely, but I also know the areas that I need to improve in because with Olympics too, it's less riders. Like at... Well, Championships with seven riders, Normally, we're at six riders, but other Commonwealth Games are six riders, whereas Olympics, we should get four because at the moment we're still in the top five nations. So, you know, it means how do you use those four riders and who do you take for those four riders? And when yeah. you're in a country like Australia, which has such depth at the moment, um, you know, it's they're going to only take the best and who's best for that course. So, yeah, so that's where the season... Will revolve around so that means a very good start of the season. So, I'm going to obviously have a downtime now and then have some good pre season training and really target the classics but more the hilly classics. Like, so I might have to forego some of the ones that I normally like, you know, maybe some of the flatter couple classics and focus on the Ardennes, for example, later in the spring because okay. I know those ones are important to perform at to be you know, chance for selections. And then, see after that, then we see how the season goes. But you know, from the last Olympic cycles, like, I've learned a lot of you know going through different emotions putting too much pressure on myself cracking all these things hopefully I'll get it right this time around but so yeah so that's a big goal and then the same so I just want to get back to you know being able to win racing as well like I'm embracing the new role that I've had like the last couple of years of being you know the road captain and a support rider but still I still have that hunger to to get results for myself to get opportunities to have that confidence you know to go out there and get it so definitely get back on the podium and get a victory will be a big goal as well.
0: But, yeah. Yeah, I can tell just by listening to you that you're extra motivated with something that like comes around every four years like the Olympics. I know you're gonna work your ass off so, Definitely, it must have the best
1: opportunity for it you know, going out to see the course again, uh, tomorrow actually. to <laughs> Japan. Really? Well I'm going to Japan to go do some reconnaissance. I went last year as well already to look at the course so, oh, cool. because you know, being so far away, not everyone gets that opportunity and I thought, okay, it's a good chance to do it. I still have some fitness. So, you know, to really knuckle down to know exactly, because you can look at something on a map, you can look at all the data, but there's no, nothing you can replicate that you can't feel it. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, they're all surface and everything. Surface,
1: so the feeling of the clients, to know yeah. the efforts, to know the corners, all those sorts of things make it big thing. So, yeah, so I had a few, a good week to go out and ride it a, a lot and, you know, really get a good feeling. So I know exactly already now what I need to train. So, I already knew from last, but like to reiterate it to get that feeling again to get it really stuck in my head. To say, okay, pre season I need to work on this, into the season I know I need to be good here, here, and here, and these types of efforts. So, that's where we look at when you can start to figure like
0: that So, okay, yeah. now so, hearing that, now I know you've really mean business. <laughs> that's yeah. that's really preparing, that's yeah. properly thinking exactly. ahead. The fact yeah. you've already been there, yeah. you're going again, uh, yeah. and it's not even 2020 yet, yeah, wow. that, exactly. that's, that's uh. Chance. Nah, the in mix is, is something special. So I'd love nothing more than to uh, to see you up there in the podium. That'd be something special. Thanks, if I can get there. Oh, thank you for your time, uh, Tiff. So first lady in the show, and uh, it's been a good little conversation. Yeah, appreciate good. it. Yes, good luck for the
1: rest
0: of your season. Yeah, two more to go, yeah. and then uh, I can get some downtime as well. Exactly. <laughs> you Thanks, Tiff. Nice. <laughs> Cheers.